Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. In these unprecedented times, and if you're a parent like me, you're worried all the time right now. There's so much stress. And coming up this fall, the overlap of COVID-19 and influenza has the U.S. may possibly be seeing two epidemics at the same time. And epidemiologists are worried, and this combination could precipitate a crisis like no other that we've seen in a very long time. Joining me is Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. She's a pediatrician and a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Swanson, always a pleasure. You are such a great guest. And let's start with this perfect storm that we're looking at. What's the difference between influenza and COVID-19? Explain a little bit about some similarities and some differences. Thanks, Melanie. Well, it's good to be back. And I have to remind you, I don't know if you know, but last February or maybe early March, we did the same podcast on flu versus COVID. And let me tell you, the world sure is different, right? Six months later. So a couple of things, right? Flu is something families have heard about, but I think sometimes get a bit confused about. We see it every year. We mostly see it sometime between October and May, so kind of the wintry season. Um, We typically have the most severe flu season, particularly in kids, usually in January, February, and March. But that being said, it can come at any time. Flu is one of these colds and viruses that's super common. 10 to 40% of children, so like one in 10, one in, you know, almost three to four, will get influenza each year. And sometimes it's a really mild illness. And sometimes it's like getting hit by a Mack truck. I mean, a kid is doing great at lunchtime and come dinner, they've got 103 fever, they're lying on the couch, they develop cough and cold symptoms, they're down and out for 10 days. And very rarely, but it can happen, flu leads to more serious illnesses. And the difference that's really key here when it comes to what we're learning about COVID-19 and what we know about flu is that flu tends to be more severe in young children, for example, than in older people. or in older children, let's say, versus COVID, which tends to be mild in kids, but it's not a nothing thing. So influenza is likely coming. The great news and the biggest difference for what parents can do is that, you know, ding, 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 ding. Like, we have a vaccine for flu. (laughs) It's amazing, you know? And I think as a mom, you know, my two boys, I just take heart that there's one thing in this horribly uncomfortable time that I can do something about when it comes to influenza. And that is, you know, it's September now. And, you know, we're recording this early September and flu vaccine is widely available. And now the time before Halloween is the time to get a flu shot for your kid or a nasal flu spray if your child's over two. You can decrease the likelihood that they get flu. And we know for sure that kids who are vaccinated are far less likely to ever be hospitalized, have severe complications from flu, or die from flu when they're vaccinated. So it's a slam dunk that we actually, in one little tiny corner of our terrible, frustrating worlds right now, we have something that we can do and prevent the likelihood of it being a big problem. So we can get a flu shot. Well, that's really going to be our main message here is that that's at least something that we can do that will make us feel like we and our children are you know, somewhat protected from at least the flu, whether or not COVID. So let's talk about what we're doing right now to 
try and flatten the COVID curve with our social distancing and masks. Can this also help with stopping the spread of flu? Because a lot of people don't get their flu shots. And we know our older folks as well are at high risk for both of these things. And both of these things can really kill our older folks. However, with the social distancing, hand sanitizer everywhere, masks, do you see that that might help also reduce the spread of flu? Yeah, it's a great question, Melanie. Yes. The very clear answer is yes, of course, right? Influenza, like COVID-19, right, is spread in part through cough, cold symptoms, sneezes, and droplets. Both flu and COVID, we know, can be spread through the air um, and can also, we know, you know, less likely, but possible, we know with COVID-19, right, it's possible that if you touch a surface that's contaminated with someone's droplets or their saliva or their mucus or they sneezed all over the table and you touch it and then touch your face, you could transmit that. That's all exactly the same for flu, right? So they're spread the exact same way. So of course, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics and of course, pediatricians all over the country are working so hard to make sure, right, that we, you know, not just flatten this curve, so not just protect the spikes in symptoms, but really make sure that we're thinking carefully about the unique character of children as spreaders, right? So, you know, and, and that'll be true to your question for flu and for COVID-19. The hope is that we also see less influenza this year because of all the work that we're doing. So, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics and pediatricians everywhere are recommending that all children over the age of two, when they're out of their homes, are wearing masks. You know, masks can be super comfortable and very normalized and kids over the age of two can kind of, quote, deal with them and just kind of go back to regular life when they're wearing them. Keeping social distance, we know that droplet and respiratory transmission of the infection is most likely when, as everyone's heard, right, when you're within six feet of someone else, just because of how, when you breathe, when you cough, when you talk, when you sing, how you push air out and those droplets and, you know, you know, the reason you fog up your glasses is because every time you breathe, you're breathing really humidified air that's been humidified from your throat and your nasal passage and your lungs. There's tons of moisture in there. So as we breathe out, we breathe out all of those droplets. And so if we can keep six feet away, they come out of our mouths and they kind of drop to the ground, right, before they'd spread to somebody else. And then cleaning surfaces, et cetera, and keeping away from large groups where, you know, that distance could be collapsed is a really smart thing. And of course, if we do a really good job of that, it is less likely that we're going to pass on influenza. Um, but at the same time, influenza and COVID share some similarities, which is, you know, we think most of the severe spreading that we do, even when we have influenza or when we have COVID-19, is likely when we're most symptomatic. But you, we do know, too, that you likely can spread virus in, you know, the droplets of your air even before you know you're sick. We've always known that about flu, meaning I might, you know, have that get hit by a truck feeling at 6 p.m. On a, on a Monday. But on Sunday, it would have been possible that as the virus was already replicating in my body, I would be spreading it through the air. The same is likely true for COVID-19, but, you know, we're less certain about it. We have less experience about it. And the other thing that's different is that, you know, you know, uniquely with COVID-19, kids are not immune to it. In fact, you know, as you probably heard, between July and August, we had 180,000 children test positive in this country for COVID-19, which was a 90% increase in the numbers. And as of just yesterday, you know, we know there's like 470,000 children who've been diagnosed with COVID, and that's about 
almost 10% of the 5 million cases that we've seen. So we've seen a lot, but we weren't originally testing as many kids. But the other thing is, right, that kids can be asymptomatic or feel pretty well or look like they just have a mild cold when they have COVID. But in some studies, 40 or even 50% of kids that test positive for COVID-19 don't have any symptoms. So that's why the spread happens in the same way, but it may look different in the person or the host of the virus. And so masks, separation, social distancing, staying home, right? Are these going to be these incredible opportunities to decrease the likelihood that we, to your point of the very opening of the podcast, right, that we're not layering a pandemic with another kind of epidemic level of influenza this year. And so I do hope, you know, in some of the Southern Hemisphere where, where they were seeing flu when it was their winter time, when it was our summertime, some of the flu seasons were more mild than history. And our hope this year is, of course, that's the same. And so, you know, all the things that we're doing to protect against COVID-19 will also likely decrease the transmission against influenza. But it is, and I can't say this clear, like loudly and clearly enough, that it's no replacement for the flu vaccine. I mean, the flu vaccine is safe. It's recommended for all babies, toddlers, children, teenagers over the age of six months. And we know that on the average year, it is effective at protecting against ever getting the illness in about 50 to 60% of people. Meaning if you don't get the flu vaccine, somebody coughs on you, you're likely gonna get the flu. If you do get the flu vaccine, somebody coughs on you and there's 100 people standing there, 50 or 60 people will never get the flu. It's good. It's not perfect. It's not 100%. But, but if, I, if I can stand and look at my two baby boys and say, wait, I can decrease the likelihood of them getting this yucky virus that would cause big fever, maybe really scare me, maybe this year in particular really confuse me or get me scared about COVID, right, and scare all the people around them. Um, I can prevent that all in the first place, 50 to 60% of the time in a safe vaccine that's been tested for years. There's, it's, a no, it's a no-brainer for me. Well, it certainly is. And I like how you mentioned that they had a milder flu season. I personally think the planet is noticing, Dr. Swanson. I mean, we're not driving as much and we're not being out and about and using up so many resources. Maybe even we might see a reduction in some asthma symptoms from cars and buses and trucks and who knows. But let me ask you this, because one of the things I'm personally nervous about is the way these viruses might interact or interfere with each other. Do we know anything? I mean, we know that coronavirus sits in the lower respiratory system, and and that's why those asymptomatic people can even scar their lungs without even ever knowing they had this. What about the flu? What's the difference in the way that these two affect the body systemically? And while you're telling us that, tell us some of the specific symptoms, because everybody gets like allergies, you know, fall comes up, summer allergies, whatever, we're sniffling, nose gets stuffed up, and you're like, oh my God, okay, could this be a cold? Could this be COVID? Could this be the flu? I mean, it's all so confusing. Tell us what you know about the way these viruses may interact or interfere with each other. Yeah, well, Melanie, I adore you because you just asked like six questions and I will pick it away at them <laughs> as I answer. So first one I want to say, because the American Academy of Pediatrics has been pretty specific about this. We, you know, number one, we don't know yet a lot about COVID-19 in children. It comes on differently in each person. And to your point, it might be that it really stays in the lower respiratory tract, but we know it's had that those rare side effects as it can a multi-inflammatory system response 
as well. So we're still learning that. But what we do know is at the end of the influenza season last year, so that's kind of March and April time, we did see pretty significant flu season and hospitalizations and deaths in children that spiked at the end of the season. Now, we don't know yet, but was that ultimately affected by children who were co-infected? Meaning, did those kids get influenza at the same time that they also got COVID-19? And it's possible. So to your point, we don't know yet, but that's what we worry about greatly. It is one of the reasons that parents should absolutely never send their kids to school with a fever, never send their kids to school with a runny nose, never go to church, never go to a restaurant with those symptoms right now because we don't yet know what this winter season's gonna be like. There are some public health officials that are saying it could be the worst in the history that we know. Now, I'm not saying that to be terrifying and scary. I'm saying that because that's just true. We don't know if when you get co-infected, we know people have been co-infected. So some studies have really shown you get a flu test on the same day that you get a COVID PCR test and some people are duly infected. And in the early epidemic in February and March here in the United States, as we were just getting our footing, we were finding it in some studies even 20 or 25% co-infected. So that being said, again, that's why you get a flu vaccine and it's why you're really careful. I mean, the, the unfortunate reality this year is you know, people have always been said, you know, told, you know, keep your kids home when they're sick, when they're coughing, when they're sneezing, and, and keep them home at least 24 hours after a fever. This year, I mean, you need to be religious about that because of the fear it'll provide the community, the fear it'll provide teachers, the, the infection transmission of just a regular common cold, et cetera, and influenza, for example, and, and what are the severe kind of layering effects it will have? We just don't really know. So that's, that's kind of your first question. Your second question was really about, you know, what are the symptoms? I mean, the bottom line is your kid wakes up tomorrow with a fever or your kid wakes up tomorrow with a runny nose or your kid wakes up tomorrow with a cough. Are you going to know if it's allergies? Are you going to know if it's flu? Are you going to know if it's a common cold? Are you going to know if it's COVID-19? No. I mean, that's the bummer, Melanie. We are what not going to know. It's a total bummer. There's nothing, you know, in adults, you'll hear a lot about like, you know, sometimes, right, families or, you know, an adult individual or even a teenager will get COVID-19 and they'll lose their sense of smell or taste. It's a really specific symptom. It's unusual, right? And it helps somebody know something's wacko here, right? We don't have that per se in children. And so parents living in this world of, I mean, I'm so uncomfortable. My kids are doing virtual learning. I'm working full time. I can't go anywhere. My mom's got chronic leukemia and immunosuppressed. She's in our neighborhood. I mean, it's like, ah, we're all going bananas and everything feels so uncertain. But unfortunately, if one of the people in our family comes down with any cold-like symptoms, you're not going to know for sure. Now, usually we say, okay, well, how do you know if it's a cold or how do you know if it's allergies? The key differentiator in that is that allergies, seasonal allergies, don't cause fever. So in the face of fever, I can tell you, you can throw out allergies, okay? If a kid has a temperature over 100 degrees, it is not allergies, okay? And that is something to take very seriously, to stay home, to either go in and get a test at that time so you know if it's COVID. Now at this time, you know, we're, we haven't seen a lot of flu in, circulating yet in the United States. People are, you know, Bill Nye got his flu shot yesterday and put it on Instagram. I was like, hoo hoo, you know, like people are starting to get their flu shots. They're doing their flu shot selfies and we're not seeing a lot of circulating flu, but, but we likely will, right? So at this time, if a child were to get a temperature or to get a cough or new symptoms, it would likely make sense to get a COVID-19 
2019 test so that you knew what it was because you'd want to be really strict about isolation and quarantining for 10, at least 10, and likely 14 days before return to school, return to anything outside, and return to any individuals around them. But the bottom line is that the symptoms are all kind of the same. I mean, when it comes to COVID-19, we don't have a ton of experience that it's that kind of Mack truck hitting you feeling. You know, flu, we do know that you can have a mild course of disease sometimes, and sometimes you can really have that dramatic rapid onset of fever, rapid onset of, you know, achy muscles and body, rapid onset of, of not wanting to eat, for example, and then the development of you know, runny nose, cough, and cold. Um, with COVID, it's just we don't exactly know. The cadence of symptoms that kids get are pretty variable. And again, 40-50% in a lot of these studies will show kids don't have any symptoms at all. It's like I was looking at the University of North Carolina's data that, you know, last week they were they tested 1,500 college students and a third of them, 32% of them, were positive. Now, most of those kids were asymptomatic. And those are 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And we're talking about six, seven, eight-year-olds who don't tend to have a lot of symptoms. So, you know, I think bottom line is that, unfortunately, you're probably not going to know what the cause of symptoms are in your kid. And the big thing is you don't have to go in and get testing if you know that you can keep your kid away from everybody for 10 to 14 days after that. If you have curiosity or concern at any time, so dehydration, high fever that's not coming down, um, concerned about the way your child looks, concerned about their energy level, concerned about how they eat, you call your pediatrician without question at that point. I mean, just without question. And that's just a phone call first for triage or a telemedicine visit first for triage or for help. And then you and your pediatrician will make that, you know, decision of, well, what do we do? Do we want to get a test? Have their pen possibly an exposure? Are they doing, you know, some in-person learning, etc.? So I think just use your pediatrician this year as a partner and get in for the wellness visits and get in for the flu shots because that's going to help prepare you to not have that yucky feeling where you wake up one Tuesday and you don't know if your kid's got flu or you don't know if your kid's got COVID or you don't know if your kid's got a common cold. Well, you have presented this so clearly. Dr. Swanson, as you always do, what a great informed speaker that you are, such a great guest. So as we wrap up, I would really like your best advice. You just gave it, actually, with keep in touch with your pediatricians, especially this year. Make sure our kids get our flu shots. But what else can we do? Because right now, and I'd just like to add this in as you do your wrap up, we're all kind of suffering. Our mental health is really just, you know, on the edge right now. How can we keep our children calm as they worry about heading back to school, as we worry about them heading back to school? Maybe they're uncomfortable in the masks. Maybe they're worried about this confluence. Maybe they're worried about flu or they have some chronic condition that's concerning our children even more. Families are stressed out, Dr. Swanson. So while you're giving us your best advice about COVID and the flu and rhinovirus and everything else that could come up this fall, offer up some of your best mental health advice for how we can strengthen our family ties right now, how we can show gratitude, kind of lean on each other when we need to and help each other when we have to. Yeah, well, that's, a whole nother podcast worth, right? Yes, it is, but But you can add it in because you're that good. I know, I know, I know. So, well, bottom line, right? I mean, to your point, you, no one is alone in suffering. I don't, I do not know an American who's comfortable right now. So acknowledging that and accepting that, you don't have to accept it, you, you can dislike it, but working to accept it. I think, you know, taking time together, taking time offline, taking time outside whenever you can is 
always going to help. It just helps to get outside and be without a ceiling every single day. Um, you know, the rigor of being in front of a computer screen for all of us, if you're at, you know, doing home learning and the balance for those of us who are working parents, balancing also the, the homeschooling is extraordinary. I, you know, one of the strongest antidotes to that discomfort is to me a sense of belonging with friends and family. So calling people when you need them. You know, the other thing is getting outside and then there's the magic bullet of sleep. I am not kidding. <laughs> you know, it is working to keep consistent bedtimes for everybody and to, to prioritize that for yourself and to take breaks away from the news because your day to day to day is not as ominous as it feels uh, when you're watching the news between, you know, our really important and rising awareness of, of, you know, systemic racism and social injustice to, for example, I'm in Madison, right, in, in Wisconsin, to the riots, to the political scene, and then to the threat of this pandemic and how it's closed down our way of life. Sleep, take time outside, do whatever you can to prevent. And then you know what? When you need to opt out, opt out. Take Thursday out of school, take a day off work, call your best friend, go to a park with someone that you love and be outside and keep your six feet, but see them and their smile and their face when you can be in a place with people that you love. It is an amazing gift to be alive. And this is one of the hardest exercises we've ever been squished into. And there are little things that we can control and most of it we can't. But our children are watching, of course, which is ominous. Um, and our tone and our self-care is, I think, more important than it has ever been. Opt out. Opt in when you can. Make really good decisions as best you can. Trust your instincts and keep your kids home. And do not hesitate on that flu vaccine. Talk with your pediatrician if you're fe fearful about it. I don't think that you should be. And talk about ways to make sure that you feel good about the decisions. And then, you know, I mean, go to bed. <laughs> like, I can't say it enough. Well, I am right there with you, sister, because I am a napper. And sometimes I've just said to my kids, when I've really been feeling that stress and exercise or sitting outside, eating healthy hasn't done it for me. I just, I have said, you know, I'm out, guys. I'm, I'm out. And I shut my door and crawl under my covers and take a nap. And then I wake up and it feels like, a little renewal. So that is excellent, excellent advice. And we do have well, to sleep take... is amazing for mental health and it just re renewal. And that, you know, nighttime can feel horrible, especially if you're looking at the news and morning always feels just a little bit better. And so, you know, making sure you give yourself the restoration allows for you to just navigate it from a mental health standpoint. And then I'll just say, you know, your pediatrician's not there just to talk about the flu vaccine. And your pediatrician's not there just to talk about, you know, cold symptoms. If you're worried about your child's mental health, their anxiety, their social isolation, how they're doing, how they're functioning with school, your pediatrician's there for that too. Well, they certainly are. And and it, it's such a great resource, as is the American Academy of Pediatrics, with great information just like this. And parents listening, you've heard this statement before, but you cannot take care of those you love until you take care of yourself. So as Dr. Swanson said, self-care, put your own mask on. Wow, isn't that just applicable right now? Before you put the masks on of your loved ones, because we absolutely must take care of ourselves so that we can take care of each other and our children. So please, listeners, share this show with your friends and 
your family. Share it on social media because we are learning from the experts at the American Academy of Pediatrics together, and they are the gold standard. They are helping us to raise our children, and they are there for us. And that's what this show, Healthy Children, is really all about. And thank you so much, Dr. Swanson. You just are awesome, giving us really, really needed information at this time. I'm Melanie Cole, and you know you can listen on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere podcasts are played. But we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. Thanks so much. Stay well, stay safe, masks on. Thanks for listening.